Okay, so uh, Mark 11, starting at uh, 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple, temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? The chief priests and teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. And just skipping down to 27. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people for everyone held that, that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Please um, do have the passage in Mark 11 in front of you. We um, are reading through Mark's gospel at the moment, all the way up to Mark 11, which you'll find on page 1016 if you've got a church Bible. And I want to start this morning with a bit of an imaginary situation, but you'll see why it's very closely linked to what's just happened in Mark's gospel. If someone arrived today in Binfield, they walk into our church, they wander around tutting. They see these lights, they rip them off the wall. Go, what is that? Off the ceiling, the big spotlights that George put up a week or so ago, rip them down, and then stands up the front, starts preaching. We'd probably send the elders over to have a word. What are you doing? What does he think he's playing at? Dav, Ian, Austin... Have a chat with this guy. He's just said, you've turned my house into a house of lights and entertainment, into black ball illuminations. In some ways, the beginning of today's passage is not a surprise to us. Jesus has walked into Jerusalem. Everyone's declared him as king. He's then walked into the temple the next day, cleared it out and said, this is my house, it's a house of prayer. And now, here he is on the third day, and he's preaching from the front, without any invitation. I have been invited this morning, but Jesus hadn't on this occasion. We um, read in Mark 11, verse 27, they arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders, they come to him. Luke's gospel tells us that he'd been preaching in the temple courts. I don't know if he was moving between one court to another to preach to a different audience, 
But whether he's walking or he's preaching, the elders think, what is this guy playing at? Let's go and have a word. And verse 28, they say to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority to do this? Many commentators see this as two very separate questions. One is uh, the nature of the authority you have, and the other, what is the origin of the authority? What is it? Who gave it? But I think really they're just asking one question. What makes you think you've got power here? What makes you think you've got power here? And they were the right men to ask that, I think. You see, the chief priests, they were the most senior members of the most significant tribe of Israel. They were the priestly division of the Israelites. Their authority had been passed down through many generations from Aaron, Moses' brother. They were the only ones who could make those sacrifices for Israel. They were critical to the whole nation. And it wasn't just the priests who were sent. Notice also there's the teachers of the law or the scribes, as they're sometimes uh, described. They were the most senior theological scholars of the day, the men who knew most about what God had written and he declared. They knew most about how to follow him. They taught the people they had the final say on all the doctrine and the religious decisions. And then also we have the elders, probably here the senior civil leaders of the people. They were the politicians of the day. They represented the people. They settled civil disputes. They probably were the ones who communicated with the Romans and negotiated freedoms and agreements with the Roman governors at that time. And together, these three parties, they made up the Sanhedrin, the leadership and government of all Israel. They had all the authority that was going in Israel at the time. The Israelites had no king of their own. So these guys were the most powerful men in Jerusalem. And so they asked Jesus to declare his authority. And at first glance, Jesus evades the question. It looks like he doesn't answer it. Because he says, I will ask you one question. Just like all of our politicians Has he just sidestepped the question? Has he avoided it? Has he changed the subject? Why has he here, in verse 30, brought up John the Baptist, whose head had been chopped off? Jesus is not avoiding the question here. Instead, he's answering the question, whilst also teaching them. His question is designed to get them thinking. Now, often Miriam, my daughter, asks me, "Uh, Daddy, what are we doing tomorrow? And I might answer by saying, Miriam, where do you and Noah always go on Monday mornings? I've answered with a question. And some would say, I've ignored her. I've ignored what she's asked. But others would recognize that what I'm doing is I'm getting her to think. I'm coaching her that she knows the answer. I'm helping her find what she already knows. With Miriam, it often fails. Her default answer is, I don't know. 
We'll find out later that my five-year-old and the greatest, most powerful minds in Israel have that in common. I don't know, is their answer. So Jesus' question in verse 30, here in Mark 11, he says, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. Note the tell me. It's not a rhetorical question. He actually wants them to think and to answer. When he says John's baptism, he means John's teaching and message. What was that all about? Was it a God-sent message? Or did John make it up? The leaders of Israel knew the answer. In fact, in verse 32 here, we hear that everyone knew that John was a prophet. Everyone had grasped or understood. It's a good way of translating this word that the NIV says, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. Everyone had grasped it. They'd understood it. That's what prophets are. They're somebody who speaks the word of God and declares what God has said, and they'd grasped that John was a messenger from God. He was a prophet. So the elders, the teachers of the law here, they knew the answer that Jesus was looking for. And he knew that they knew the answer he wanted. And in verse 31 here, we see that they knew that he knew that they knew the answer. But they don't want to be trapped. Like all politicians, instead of just answering a question truthfully, honestly from the heart, they decide they need to be careful not to say something they'd later regret. So they pause for a moment to discuss it. In verse 31, amongst themselves. And they're not checking that they're all on the same page here. They're not asking each other, guys, are we all in agreement that John was a prophet? Have we we clarified that? They're not checking their honest consensus to this question. They want to check they're not about to be tricked. Guys, if, if we say the real answer... John was a real messenger from heaven. That's what Jesus is getting at. Then he'll say, why don't you believe me? Why don't you believe him and therefore believe me? But then then again, we shouldn't say that John's message was made up because no one believes that. And and there's some pretty committed John followers around here. They'll they'll at, at least stop trusting us. And at worst, will probably stone us. Mark doesn't record that bit, but Luke records that they were fearful of of being attacked by the people who loved John. Matthew and Mark just said they feared the people, cared too much about what the people thought. So if they feared being stoned, if they feared losing the respect of the people, if they feared losing political votes from the Baptist believers, then surely they should have answered From heaven. Let's go with that one. That's safer. From heaven, from God. That's where John's authority came from. Gone with that and seen what Jesus did next. After all, verse 32, everyone held that John was a prophet. Everyone was persuaded that he was sent by God. But unfortunately, they, for some reason, weren't persuaded. We know they didn't think John was, well, they weren't sure if John was a legitimate prophet. Because they say in verse 31, 
They discussed it amongst themselves. They say, if we say from heaven, he'll ask, then why didn't you believe him? Why didn't you believe him? They knew that Jesus knew. They'd not totally believed that message. Or at least they hadn't totally followed that message. So they decide, quickly amongst themselves, that they'd rather pretend to be totally ignorant and look incompetent by saying, I don't know. We don't know if he's a real God-sent prophet. We don't know if he made it up. We're not sure. And how incompetent they must have looked in front of the people that they ruled. After all, the Israelites must have been thinking, well, surely if anyone knows this answer to this question, it should be these guys. The religious experts, the teachers of the law, they should be able to tell us if John was legitimate or if he was a heretic. There is only two possible answers here. He was either from God or he wasn't. Why can't the rulers work it out? Was John heaven sent? Was it all a bunch of gibberish? My Miriam says she doesn't know because most of the time she can't be bothered to think or work it out for herself. And perhaps a little bit, she says, I don't know, because she is so scared of getting things wrong. She hates to give the wrong answer. These leaders of the people say, we don't know, because they feared the people and because they feared Jesus' knowledge. And I think also they fear what the right answer means for them. You see, I think they partially understood why Jesus had pointed them back to John. Before I answer your question, John, what do you think about him? That's what Jesus had done. And I think they realized why. Because they realized that John hadn't looked like one of them. They had authority. John didn't look like them. Possibly hadn't been educated like them. He wasn't voted into power like them. He hadn't hung out with the cool people. He hadn't followed the rules. He wasn't fashionable and he wasn't as important and famous as they were. But God had appointed him. God had given him a message to share with his people. He was clearly a prophet and people flocked to hear him. They flocked to listen to his teaching, to listen to his message from God. They queued up to be baptized by John. They'd been changed because there was truth in his message. It was life-changing. I think the, the rulers here were clever enough to understand that if John the Baptist, who looked like a hermit, and who no one would ever have guessed could be a messenger of God, if he was in fact a real prophet, if they could see that it was likely that John genuinely did have a good message from God and the authority of God himself... John could have authority from God, then this Jesus who stood before them, then possibly, potentially, he could be a messenger from God too. So it's probably on their minds. If we couldn't tell whether John was a prophet or not, if we still haven't exactly made up our minds on that, how are we supposed to be sure about Jesus? Looks can be deceiving here. But I think that's only a small part of why Jesus asked them to think about John the Baptist. 
He wasn't saying, well, John, he didn't look like one. Looked like he had authority. I don't look like I've got authority. That's not the main reason that Jesus points them back to John. It's not the significance of his message. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew's Gospel, the beginning. Matthew chapter 3, it's on page 967, if you want to flick there. And in Matthew 3, verses 1 to 6, we read about John the Baptist's first preaching and teaching and preparing the way. Matthew 3, verse 1 to 6 says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel hair. He had a leather belt round his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. But people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John's message was repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He didn't look like he was part of the kingdom of heaven. He was wearing weird clothes and eating odd food. And he wasn't in Jerusalem, the capital city. He was out there in the desert. But his message was repent, turn from your wicked ways, turn back to God because his kingdom is coming. And Matthew, as he wrote his gospel, realized that John was definitely spoken of many hundreds of years before by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah had been told by God that before God's Christ came, there'd be someone preparing the way, saying, come on, get ready, guys, the kingdom of heaven is near. And Luke tells us in his gospel, when he records this same uh, section, that the people began to wonder if John might actually be the Christ they were expecting. Was he the one prophesied about hundreds of years before? And John has to stop that. Here in Matthew 3, verse 11, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. They said, are you the Christ, John? And he says, no, no, after me comes one more powerful than me. That one's coming. I'm preparing the way for the Lord. I'm getting you to turn now to start thinking about returning to God as his kingdom comes and as his Christ arrives. John's message was they should repent. They should turn from their sinful lives because God's kingdom is near. And he knew that God had given him that job of getting people ready to receive the Messiah. All of the Gospels talk about John and the message he declared before Jesus arrived. And in John's Gospel, written by a different John, chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, 
It says, now this was John's testimony when Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Similar situation here. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. The rulers, a few years before this moment where Jesus is in the temple, had thought, maybe John is the right guy we're looking for. They'd sent some messengers. They'd said, who are you? What's your authority? And he said, look, no, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. And in verse 22, they then say, okay, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replies with those words of Isaiah the prophet that Matthew records. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. I'm the voice that calls out. He's almost here. Prepare the way for the Lord. I'm the herald who declares that the champion warrior king, the promised Messiah, is coming. And lots of people listened. And they realized that if God's new king was coming, they weren't ready. They hadn't been living in a way that was compatible with God's kingdom. They'd not been honoring God. They'd not been loving him with all their heart, soul, and mind. They had to turn, that's what repentance means, turn from the self-centered lives they've been living, get baptized and love him with all their heart. So they got baptized. They symbolically washed themselves of the way they had been living and wanted to be clean and pure for God's promised king arriving and this new kingdom of true worshippers that was near. And I think many of them didn't realize how near it was. Still in John chapter 1, verse 26, John carries on talking. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not yet know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. When he said the kingdom of heaven was near, he meant You can almost touch it. In fact, among you, he's here. You just can't see him yet. And this is what John says in the next five verses. This is the bit I think Jesus was pointing them back to. John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34. This is the crux of Jesus' question to them. This is what he wanted them to think about. The next day, after John had been asked, what's your authority? He saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant yesterday and all the days before when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself didn't know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water, and that's God, the one who sent me, the Father, to baptize with water, told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain 
is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. John said of Jesus, this is the one who takes away the sin of the world. This is the special one who was to be revealed to Israel. He is the Lamb of God. He's the sacrifice that God makes for our redemption. John says in verse 33, I wouldn't have known him, but the one who sent me, you ask where my authority came from, God sent me and he, God the Father, told me, This man was coming. The special one was coming. John was a prophet. He was a messenger of God. He sent by God. It wasn't something that John had made up. Luke's gospel tells us that John himself was a miracle baby. His dad was a priest called Zechariah. Zechariah was told by an angel, a messenger from God, that he would have a son even though at this point he and his wife were very old and had given up hope of ever having children. And Zechariah, when promised that he would have a son, was also told by God's angel that his son would be the herald of the special Messiah. And it's part of the Christmas story that we often read Zechariah's song from the beginning of Luke's Gospel. Zechariah praises God when John is born. And he praises God that he was sending a redeemer, a savior who would rescue them all, and who they would all serve. And he goes on to sing, and you, my son, maybe as he holds his son in his arms, you, my son, John, will be a prophet of the Most High God. You will go before him preparing the way for the Lord, giving people the knowledge of how they can be saved and forgiven. If you want to look at that later, it's in Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 79. He says, oh God, you have told me you're sending your man to redeem us, your saviour who rescues us all. And my son John is going to be the herald. So John had been told by God himself, and told by his dad that God had sent him, and told by an angel that God had sent him. And was told, in fact, by a prophecy in Isaiah many, many, many years before that God had sent him as a herald to declare the Messiah was coming. And there was no doubt in the people's mind, back in Mark 11, everyone had grasped that John was a prophet. And they said he was here to prepare the way for this new kingdom. That's why Jesus points the religious rulers back to him. John had declared, and this was three years before at the beginning of the Gospels, he declared already who Jesus was. John had declared that the God who sent him as a messenger was also sending a Messiah. And for three years, people had been realizing that Jesus had been sent by God, sent to be the savior of the world, to be that new king who makes a kingdom of God's chosen holy people. But why doesn't Jesus just say that? Say, for three years, everyone's been catching up, guys. Three years, John's been saying it, the people have been saying it, I've been saying it. Why does Jesus answer a question with a question? 
Why point them back to John? Why not just say, I've been saying it for three years, guys. My authority is from God. He has sent me. It's because the rulers had not recognized the authority of Jesus so far. Three years of this and they hadn't got it. His journey had started with John declaring who he was. And the rulers had sent a number of delegates to find out what was going on. And over the three years, they'd sent delegates to Jesus to find out, so who is he? What is he doing? And he'd been up to Jerusalem himself many times and preached there. He'd shown miracles. He taught powerfully from Scripture. He'd raised the dead. His followers had increased. Fame had spread. His message was out. And only two days ago, everybody had welcomed him into the city as king. He'd been on earth 33 years, and just two days ago, the majority of people had recognized him. And here they are, with only three days before he'd die, three days left, and they still hadn't got it. If they hadn't grasped it by now, then they weren't likely to get it in the last three days of his human life. Jesus had not been keeping his authority a secret. In John's Gospel, Jesus says about 19 times, I've been sent, I've been sent by the Father. I've been sent by him. I've been sent. John chapter 5. I'm going to read a couple of verses there. Verse 24 of John chapter 5. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted that the Son will also have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. It doesn't sound like somebody hiding the truth. God has sent me. Anyone who believes in me will have eternal life. And he's granted me authority to give life. He's granted me authority to judge. That's where the authority comes from. It's from God. He's given it. He sent me. Jesus hadn't been hiding this. It wasn't new news. We're three years in. So Jesus didn't need to say, God has given me the authority, guys. He sent me to die for your sins, to be raised to eternal life, to take with me all who believe. He didn't need to say that because he'd been saying it for three years. His disciples had been saying it. The crowds had been saying it. The people he had healed had been saying it. John the Baptist had said it. The prophets of old had said it. There was evidence everywhere if only the rulers would believe it. The passage today is just six verses. It's pretty simple to summarize. Perhaps I should have just said this. The religious rulers asked Jesus, who gave him authority? And Jesus says, John told you this three years ago, 
and you still won't listen or believe. The summary is easy. But perhaps the application isn't. Because if you're a believer here today, if you're someone who has heard Jesus' voice, like he said in uh, John chapter 5, if you've heard his message, if you know about his authority, you know he was sent by God and that he was sent to suffer. This is three days before he's crucified. They're asking, what authority have you got to arrive here in Jerusalem and throw things about? And he's thinking, ignore that bit. In three days I'm going to die here. Forget what I've just done in the temple. I'm going to die here on a cross for you. If you know that, if you know he was there to be beaten, to die, by obeying his father 100% all the way to the cross, then the application for you as a follower of Jesus is two things. One, it's Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Let me skip there. You know it well, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. If you've recognized that Jesus has authority, then you'll be thinking in your head, where else does he talk about that? Matthew 28. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Oh, yes, good. Yeah, we've got that. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus has all the authority. We recognize that as believers. And he tells us, go, tell it. Tell others about it. Declare it. If you've recognized Jesus' authority, then you have a job to do today. And the problem is, that's part one, he's got authority and he gives you a job to do. The problem is, it's not an easy job. John the Baptist came to do it, and he had his head chopped off. Jesus gave up everything to serve his father. Gave up absolutely everything to serve him who sent him. And for us, it means the same. Jesus is now sending us, go tell people. And Jesus taught a number of times that following him means we totally abandon ourselves and we serve his kingdom. We totally abandon what we want And we do what he wants. It means recognizing his authority over all of our lives. All of it. It might mean you have to give up your Friday nights and come and serve him here at Origin. It might mean you have to give up your savings account and help fund a church that's struggling. It might mean that you have to give up the idea that you've always dreamed of having a three-bed house and a spouse and 2.4 children and a steady job and an easy life until retirement. Jesus calls us to give him authority in everything. Everything. And it means we go and tell this gospel. And it means we'll suffer. And it means we put aside our desire and dreams and follow his will. If Jesus has authority, if you believe it, then the application isn't easy today. It's go. You've got a mission. He's sending you now. 
and it's going to be tough. Don't expect this to be comfortable. For those who've not yet repented of their sins, not yet made up their mind and believed in Jesus as a saviour, then the application for you today is hard, too. The rulers here had not recognised who Jesus really is. When considering what power he had, their answer was a shrug and a, I don't know. Do not let a shrug and an I don't know be your answer to what authority does Jesus have. You have to make a decision whether Jesus was from heaven or had made up everything himself. I said that John the Baptist was either a messenger from God or a madman speaking gibberish. That's what they went to find out. People needed to pick one or the other. It's a similar situation with Jesus. He is either the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the Savior who came to rescue us and make the whole world right with God again, or he's speaking gibberish. He's either the Lord of all mankind or a liar who got his comeuppance on the cross. And you need to make up your mind which you think it is. Is he the Lord of all mankind or a liar with no authority at all? I'd like to help you make that decision. The most important one you will make in your whole life. Let me give you some help. Liars don't come back to life as they promised three days later. Liars cannot heal people. Liars cannot bring people back to life. Liars cannot walk on water, feed thousands with one small picnic, or command a storm to be quiet. Liars don't have fan clubs whose number increase every single day for 2,000 years. People don't celebrate the birth of liars every year, 2,000 years later. People don't celebrate the death of liars every year, 2,000 years later. People don't base their whole calendar on how many years it's been since a liar was born. Is Jesus Lord or is he a liar? No. Jesus said he was sent by God the Father to give eternal life to all who believe. This is what his disciples wrote about in all the books of the New Testament. This is what John the Baptist proclaimed. This is what this church proclaims. This is what God had been promising through hundreds of prophecies he'd given in the Old Testament, in the thousands of years leading up to Jesus' arrival. This is what Tom and Ellie talked about. This is why this church exists. This is what we want to tell everyone. So if you're not sure about Jesus, I want to ask you something. You might be here for the very first time, or you might have been here to this church a thousand times. But maybe you've sort of sat out of the way, you've not asked too many questions, you've not got too involved. Or maybe your parents have brought you here for years because they love Jesus, but you're not quite sure yet. Whatever your circumstance here this morning, can I ask you to make sure you don't leave here this morning without either praying that God would show you the truth, and he loves to do that, or without asking some questions And we'd love to explain a bit more. Or without signing up for a Christianity Explored course, because we love doing those. 
We'd love to tell you more about Jesus. Or, don't leave here this morning without, if this is actually the case for you, saying, yes, yes, I am sure I know Jesus was sent by God and he died for me. And I need to follow him. I need to repent and give the rest of my life over to his authority. I can't promise you this morning that will be easy. In fact, I can promise you this morning that will be hard. The application for us who believe is give God authority in everything. Follow him every step of the way, even if that means being beheaded. That's the application for us. I can't promise you it will be easy, but I can promise you that one day every knee will bow when Jesus appears. And some people will be his and he will say, come. And others won't be his and he will say, I never knew you. And you have to make the choice now about whether you believe in his authority or not.